2 Peter chapter 1, and I'm going to start verse 3 and go down to verse 15. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness, through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence, by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises, so that through them you may become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. For this very reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue, and virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. For if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. For whoever lacks these qualities is so nearsighted that he is blind, having forgotten that he has been cleansed from his former sins. Therefore, brothers, be all the more diligent to confirm your calling and election, for if you practice these qualities, you will never fall. For in this way there will be richly provided for you an inheritance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And therefore, I attend always to remind you of these qualities, though you know them and are established in the truth that you have, I think it right, as long as I am in this body, to stir you up by way of reminder, since I know that the putting off of my body will be soon, as our Lord Jesus Christ has made clear to me. And I will make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for this time. Thank you for your word. And thank you for this group who have gathered together to worship you and to learn from you, to hear from you, to meet you here in this place this morning. I pray, Lord, that hearts would be quickened, that minds would be made alert, and that, and that Lord, that, that comfort would be had, that the promises that you have for us would really impact our lives, and that that impact would, would promote evangelism, that we just cannot help but tell the world of the one who loves us so greatly. It's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. So, <clears throat> you may be seated. I always forget that part, but you guys got to figure, you know what's up. Um, so, what, so what Peter's doing here, I, I, I often, the way that I'm just naturally wired is I like to take a text and read through it like this and then just break it down one chunk at a time. And that's not entirely what I'm going to do with this text this morning, but there are key points of it that I wanted to pull out. Um, Peter, Peter is reminding his audience, he's reminding us of things that they already know. He, he's going to be dead soon. And there is something that's, I mean, when anything is coming to an end, you know, it's, it's the last class of your last year in high school, or it's the last day at a job that you've worked at for decades. It's the, there's always, there's something special about the last, I mean, we, we, we actually like, we, we write down people's last words, like we're always curious what somebody's last words are. One of the tragedies in history is that we don't know Albert Einstein's last words because he spoke in German and the nurse that was with him didn't speak German and that bugs a lot of people. There's something about the last moments. There's a certain weight that comes with this being the end and Peter's life is coming to an end and what he says here is he's, he's taking time with the, with the little bit of time that he has left, he wants to make an effort to remind people of what he calls very precious and very great promises. Promises. He's thinking about promises. He's reminding us of promises. And the truth is, I mean, when you're at the end of your life, 
And if you've ever been with somebody, I don't think anybody in this room has actually died, but if you've been with somebody who, who, who closely with them as they die, you see what they really believe. Death strips any hubris. It strips any, any false uh, facade. It, it strips you down to who you really are and what you really are holding on to and what you really think is true and what you really find important. And so that's why these promises that Peter is speaking of, he's describing them as precious. And the promises of Scripture, the promises of the Bible, the promises of, of our Lord to us are promises that are, in fact, very, very precious. But it's easy to miss it because if you're well-fed and you're in an air-controlled room and you're relatively healthy and you have a pretty good idea of what your life is, where the trajectory that your life is going and nothing is really bumping you one way or the other too harshly, you just kind of just ignore those things because things are good. Things are good. But Peter's saying, Peter's saying, wait, I'm at the end of my life and you all need to pay attention to what is really important. I want you to think about the very great and precious promises that are for you. And I want you to think about what they are. I want you to think about what they do. And I want, to think, I want you to think about what they mean. And those promises are there because Jesus Christ died taking the punishment of your sins and rose again from the dead showing you the life that he has to offer. A life for you that you do not deserve that is immortal. It's a life that is impervious to death. It's a life that's overqualified for death. So listen to these promises. And he says, I want you to recall down at this, the very last, the very last verse, he, he says, I make every effort. I'm, I'm, I'm reminding you. I got a little bit of time left and I want to remind you. You guys know these things. You're established in them. You hold to them. You know what they are, but I want to remind you. The practice of repetition just helps us remember things better. It's that simple. And so this is what Peter is trying to beat into their heads. And honestly, it's, this, is, this is my goal today, is to just remind us of some really good news. And, then I'll, and I'll tell you why later. But he says, I want to remind you of these things, verse 15, and I want to make every effort so that after my departure, you may be able at any time to recall these things. At any time to recall. So when you recall something, you, something happens and your mind goes someplace. Where does, where, where, where does your mind go? And you know, the, the, first, the first thing that popped into my head as I was, um, as I was thinking about this and I, was, and I was thinking about the idea of recall was fire extinguishers. Every business needs fire extinguishers. This church has fire extinguishers. The, the, the house that my wife and I are staying in right now uh, used to be sort of a place of business operations and there's still fire extinguishers there. And, and I think so little of fire extinguishers that I've actually been using one of the fire extinguishers in our temporary house as a coat rack for the last two months. Because you just don't, like it's a fire extinguisher, you don't even think about it. I remember when I was in the trades, the, the fire department would come in periodically and they, they would want us to walk them through all the sections where there was a fire extinguisher so they could test the pressure and they could replace them if need be or do maintenance or whatever. And every time the fire department came, it was like, I don't know where the fire extinguishers are. I, I see them every day. I see that. I walk past the front door. There's one right there. There's, ones, there's one by the men's bathroom. There's, but it, in a moment, I cannot recall where, where these fire extinguishers are. But when the heat turns up, right, when suddenly... That fire extinguisher, you, you, you need it, you need what it does, you need its help, 
You need it to function. You need it to do what it's designed to do. And I think that the promises of God are very much the same way. We can ignore them. We know that they're there. We've heard them. Maybe we've even studied them. But when real life is being lived, they can be the first thing that we, like, what was, I don't remember. There, maybe there was one by the men's bathroom, I think. Maybe there was one by the front entrance. This is the easiest thing. And Peter is saying, I want to remind you so that at any given moment, you can recall these things. You can recall what is true. You can recall what is real. You can recall who Christ is and what he has done and that you have a hope of eternity forever and that he is with you here and now in the midst of whatever it is that you're going through. And that really, that really is the thrust of, of my message this morning. A couple weeks ago, it was the fifth, I preached a sermon uh, and, I, and I just related uh, the stories of, of Lot's wife looking back at Sodom as it was destroyed and, and noted that that Josh had pointed out, and it blew my mind that she looked back longingly, that what Lot's wife is doing is she's looking at this city that's being destroyed, and she's not trusting where the Lord is taking her. She's not living in faith. She wants Sodom. She wants, that's what I want, that's what her heart was longing after, and she was, she was swept away with the city. And it is very easy in our Christian walk to lust after what was and neglect and maybe even despise the mystery of the future that the Lord is leading us into. And I didn't mean to do it. I never mean to do anything. I just try to just read the Bible and, and hopefully accurately share what is here. But that, that, that uh, sermon on the fifth struck a nerve. And I, have, I haven't had so many tears in my office in the, la- in the last three years that I've worked here. And I think that's great. There's, there, the Lord, is, the Lord was, was saying something. And people came to me, text messages and emails and, and, and one-on-one meetings in my office and uh, a lot of um, sharing that, there has been, that there's been setbacks. In the, in, the, in the life of following the Lord, there's been interruptions and there's been betrayal, there's been failures, there's been accidents, there's been people who have just been the victim of of malevolence, people who have, who have been mistreated in life and in, in the workplace and in their interpersonal relationships, things can get hard. And people were sharing with me, yeah, I, 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 A, I've been looking back at this, at this thing that fell apart and I've just been angry. I've been longing for that thing and I, I have neglected what the Lord might have for me in the future. And, and the, the other thing that we talked about a lot was I don't know where to go from here. I don't know what to do. I don't know what's happening. And, what we, and so the other part of the story that we looked at on the fifth was Jacob on his way to Mesopotamia, 500-mile journey from his home to a land that he, was, that he was unfamiliar with. And there's a scene in Genesis 28 where he winds up in the middle of nowhere. And this is a silver spoon kid. You know, like his parents are wealthy. He's, if you know the story, you know that he's got the birthright. He's got the blessing. He, he shouldn't, but he does nonetheless. And he winds up in the middle of nowhere. Three times the place is described as just the place. It has no name. It's insignificant to Jacob. He doesn't want to be there. He doesn't care. He's just passing through. He's alone. He's broke. All he has is his staff. He even uses a rock as a pillow. And friends, the Christian life can, can not just feel that way, but can actually be that way. You can wind up alone, broke, in the middle of nowhere, sleeping on a rock and not really sure what's ahead of you. 
And my whole point that, that Sunday on the 5th was that the Lord, it's in that very place. The Lord breaks the skies open. He reveals himself to Jacob. And that no-name place is then named Bethel, the house of God. Jacob realizes, he, he cries out, he says, the Lord was here and I did not know it. And friends, wherever it is that you are, the Lord is there and you may not know it. And so just sort of coming, I, I want to remind us of this again. The Lord is with you. The Lord, is, the Lord is doing something, and, and, I, and I, was, I was thinking, about, I was, I was kind of mulling over this idea, and what, and what I really was grappling with this week is that I didn't want to preach the same sermon twice. And so I was trying to, I was praying about it. I even confessed it early morning prayer on Thursday. I was like, it's Thursday, I preach on Sunday, and I got nothing. I got nothing, but I am nothing. So I just trust that the Lord is going to come through, and I, and I think that he did. It, it, it clicked, and this was, really, this was really exciting for me. I actually was, was just talking with Randy about this. I think it was, I think it was Thursday. If it was Thursday night, I just, I just felt defeated. I, did, like I, just had, I didn't have any more juice. I, had not, I just didn't know where to go. And I just haphazardly opened up my Bible, and I was reading through Ephesians, and it just, it just, it just clicked. The Lord said, this is, this is what I'd like you to encourage people with. And what I, and, and, it, and, it, all, and it all became very clear that throughout the conversations that I've been having all week, really for the last two weeks, um, there, there have been tears, and there's been there's been anger and frustration. I, uh, I, I went to early morning prayer um, almost every day for the last two weeks, and I actually started writing down some of the lines that people were saying in their prayer, and every one of them had some semblance of, why are you listening, are you paying attention, I'm hurting, I don't know what's going on, but everybody was, everybody's, everybody's praying to the Lord. They were giving their own little psalm to the Lord, and what, 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 what was revealed to me on Thursday night is I was kind of in this place of, <laughs> I, defeat. Like, I, I, don't know what to, I don't know what to preach on Sunday. The Lord said, the church is growing. The church is growing. People, not, not in numbers, but individual people are growing up. They're being built up. They're being matured. Let them know that. Let them know that in this place where there's a lot of tears, there's a lot of question marks, there's a lot of confusion, there's a lot of hurt, there's a lot of people who are showing up here at Door of Hope and they're going, I just don't know what else to do. I don't know where, where else to go. But like Peter, like, where else am I going to go? You know, I mean, the, the, the disciples were a confused bunch. Jesus did and said a lot of things that the disciples just did. It was not a linear trajectory. It didn't make sense to them. And there's that powerful moment in John 6 when a bunch of people walk away from Jesus. And Jesus turns to the 12 and he says, are you going to leave too? And Peter's like, yeah, I mean, the teaching in John 6 is, is it's wild. And Peter's got to be thinking like, man, I, I, I don't know. I mean, you're talking about eating you and drinking your blood and it. I mean, that is weird, but I, life is weird. Who else am I going to find better than you? Who else are you going to find better than Jesus? And what I was so encouraged by is that that is what this church has been praying for a long time. There is pain in this building. There are questions in this building. There's definitely uncertainties. There's, 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 there's hurt on many levels. And what I've been, the conversations I've been having all week is people saying, I, 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 I'm confused and I'm hurt and I, and I feel broken and lost, but, but God is good. And I'm going to, and I'm going <laughs> to, for lack of a better term, I'm just going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stay. Where else am I going to go? 
And the verse that I read that, that, jumped, that made this jump out to me was in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 22. It says, you're no longer strangers and aliens, but you're fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being in the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you are also being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. He himself gave some to be apostles and prophets and evangelists and pastors and teachers. This is Ephesians 4. I jumped two chapters ahead. <laughs> to, equip the saints, to, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into maturity with a stature measured by Christ's fullness. There are many people in this church, I don't, I don't get to have conversations with all of you, but, but I do sit and I listen to a lot of prayers, and I've had a lot of conversations, and, I, and I'm, I'm, I'm here a lot. I'm here from like 4 a.m. to 6 5 p.m. Most, most days. I'm here a lot. I talk with a lot of you, and I, th I think that there is this this maturation that's happening that's in, that's in the water. I think that people are being built up. And, and I want you to be encouraged by that at the very least. I want you to think about the promises. I want you to think. I want you to recall what it is when, when, when things hurt. When things seem shifty and, and, and you, can't, you don't know if you can trust people that you thought that you could trust and people have done you wrong the Lord has not abandoned you. The Lord has not forgotten you or forsaken you. I, I remember years ago, I was at a wedding, and it was one of my best friends who was getting married, and we went to this, we went to this really beautiful place, Joshua Tree, California, and, and I got dressed up. I mean, I, I, I had a haircut. I had a high and tight. Y'all would have fainted. It was weird. I was wearing a tie and a vest, and I was with my friends. You know, I mean, I was with People who were born 200 years earlier would have been pirates. I mean, these were like, these are the kind of guys who are like slamming the bar table at 3 a.m., you know, and they're, they're yelling wild in the streets. And one of them met a girl who thought marrying him would be a good idea. And so we're at this wedding. And I remember I was all dressed up and I, I was in Joshua Tree. It's this beautiful place. And I feel, I feel out of place. And I turned the corner and there was four or five of my guys sitting there all, all dressed up. Shaved face, hair trimmed, looking slick. I mean, like the dirtiest ragamuffin, long-haired hippie in the group. Like had the man bun and the shaved neck beard, and he looked good. And I like, and I just was, it wasn't even like, I wasn't even really making a joke. I just sort of responded. I, I saw these guys, and I looked up, and I said, do you see this? I looked up into the heavens, and I raised my hands, and I said, do you, do you see what's happening here? And, and not even a split second, one of these guys all of them non-believers, all of them very proud of, their, of their, their atheism. Without missing a moment, one of the guys goes, there's nobody up there. And I was like, that, you're buzzkill, dude. Like, and, I, you know, and I was kind of, I was, I, was, I was a believer in the Lord. I was the only guy there who was a Christian. And I was in my own weird, weird place, kind of my, you know, my 10-year Jonah journey, as I like to call it. But, but I just thought, man, you know, when, when life causes you to look above the immediate circumstances. As silly as that example is, whenever you're struck by a moment, whenever the fire breaks out, 
And, you're, and it causes you to look up into the heavens and raise your arms and say, are you, are you looking at this? Are you paying attention to what's happening? Who do you think you're speaking to? What concept do you have in your head for who you're speaking to? I was, I was being a little bit cavalier, a little bit irreverent, but my, but my buddy Chad was like, there's nobody there. Nobody's, nobody's listening to you. Nobody is looking at us. What, what's, where, where are you at? What do you think of? Who do you think the Lord is? What do you think that he is like? I'm going to spend the rest of my time here this morning just trying to remind us that he is good. He's given us promises, and those promises will never, will never ever fail. Um, I want to, the, the problems that we have, and we do, we have problems, and I want to I put into those problems. I can't do anything about the problems. I can't. I can't make promises about your problems. I can't tell you what's, hap- what's necessarily happening and why it's happening and how long it's going to last. I can't tell you that. But what I, what I can try to do is to infuse the way that you think about your problems, the way that you address your problems, the way that what your problems make you believe about God, infuse that with his promises to take the trouble that you're in and stuff truth into it. Truth about who you are truth about who God is and the truth about why things like this happen. Even if we can't speak specifically, we know it's not because he's abandoned us. We know it's not because, as my friend said, there's no one up there listening. That's a lie. There is someone up there who's listening. I want us to think rightly. And, and, and really, what, what, what my personal goal in life has been is to just trust the Lord without question. Given whatever, whatever may happen, I want to trust the Lord without question and rest in that trust because the eternity that I have with him makes this a blink. So leaning on the, tr- the, leaning on the Lord more trustingly, and I, I, ha- I, pr- I have to do that. I have to do that I have, I, because <laughs> the fire in my house has broken out. I have, needed, I have needed the fire extinguishers many times. And friends, those of you that I've met with this week, I... You know, I, I have hurts, I have, I have pains, I have broken bones, I have limps that will never go away the side of heaven. I have, I, have, I have dealt with things that will not have an answer or a conclusion or something like that until I'm in heaven. I will not understand. I just have to trust the Lord with these things. And I'm not trying to be ambiguous. We just don't have time to talk about what they are. So... Trusting, trusting things. We, it, it, I was thinking it, it, we trust a lot of, we trust a lot of stuff without question. Um, everything, everything from airplanes to protons. We, we trust, I mean, if you, if, if you drove here today, you trusted not only your own vehicle, but other people driving vehicles. In an airplane, we're trusting the airplane. We're not even, and we don't even know who the pilot is. We're just, we, we, and we do this every day on trust. We trust that the sun will rise. We trust that gravity is going to hold us to earth. We trust that, that the things that are solid and liquid and gas are going to remain so and, and, and function in their proper places in our existence, and that's going to make life continue the way that it always has. And the reason why we trust all of these things, most of which we don't understand at all, is because they usually work. I have every faith that the, that the sun will rise tomorrow because in 37 years of living, it always has. And I've read a book or two, and I know that the sun has risen for people that live before me. Plants give off oxygen 
The earth is spinning around the sun at 67,000 miles an hour. This is, just, this is just things that we trust will happen. How much more should we trust the God who created it? How much more should we trust the God who said, I will never leave you or forsake you? Whenever we look up into the heavens that he created and cry out, are you, are you, are you, are you paying attention to this? Friends, he is. If you can trust a complete stranger to put you in a pop can and drive you at hundreds of miles an hour, 30,000 feet in the air, can you trust the Lord with whatever it is that's going on? He gives us good reason to. One of the, the story that jumped out at me, I've, I've, I've read this story many times, I really love this story, I've, I've, I've taught through it a couple of times. Um, Guys, the seven and seven, we're going to go through John in a week. You should come to that. In John 6, um, there's this event that takes place, one of Jesus' most famous miracles. He feeds 20,000 people from a kid's sack lunch. And they're kind of in a nowhere place. Uh, the, the story is the, described as, as being on the eastern shore of the Sea of Galilee, which was the Golan Heights, which at the time there just wasn't much there. And it actually describes in, in the text in John 6 that the day started to wear on and the people didn't have any food and that, that to go get food was a great distance to travel. But there's one kid, there's one, there's one kid that maybe he's a kid, maybe he's a young man, I don't know, but there's one kid who came prepared. He brought a sack lunch. And you know the story. The Lord takes this kid's lunch and he miraculously produces with it enough food to feed 20,000 people and have 12 baskets of food left over, which does speak to his promises and his bounty. But, but what we skip over real quick, and I have skipped over it my entire life. I never caught on to this until it was, it was shown to me. Imagine being that kid. <laughs> you're, the only, you're the only young man in 20,000 that has shown up with a sack lunch and Jesus takes it away from you. I mean, come on. I came prepared. I planned ahead. I had, a, I had an ambition. I did it. I came out here to the middle of nowhere. This is starting to sound like your life. This is what I was relying on. I, I'm here, and I'm okay being here because I have this thing that I prepared, that I thought of, that I, that I made happen. I've got my lunch, and Jesus takes it away from him. I love that. And I'm sure Jesus did not snatch it away from him. I'm sure it was, it was very cordial and it was very nice. But at some point, there was, a, there was a gap of time where this kid said, Jesus, you're the reason why I, I, I have this food so I can listen to you. Don't take this away. What are you going to do with it? Boom, 20,000 people fed. Uh, one of the... One of the, uh, one of the people that I was talking to this week described their stories to me and, and, and um, actually used the words that said, I feel like I've been robbed. So, something happened, you know, so there, there was a plan, there was a goal, there was, a, there was an end game, it was all put together, it was all prepared, it was in a, it was in a bag, it was, it was a sack lunch, it was ready. And for circumstances that were not that, you know, out of this person's control, they're gone. They were gone. This little boy could have said, I, I feel robbed. And maybe he did. And maybe there's many of you sitting in this room for one reason or another who are saying, I, I feel like I've been robbed. I feel like I'm 
in the middle of nowhere alone, sleeping on a rock with a, with a pillow, sleeping on a rock as a pillow. Um, and that might very well be, you know, I'm not one of these pastors who's going to ever tell you that that A, won't ever happen, and B, that if, it, if and when it does happen, that I know exactly how to get out of it. I, I, the Lord might want you there. He took that kid's lunch. And it's interesting because he, remember, he, he asks, he's talking to Philip, and, and it says that he tested Philip. He said, Philip, what are we, how are we going to feed all these people? And then in parentheses, it says that the Lord knew what he was going to do. Friends, may that be something that we always take. May that be a promise that we recall at a moment's notice. The Lord knows what he is going to do. And a, a, another, another word from Genesis, because we've been there for quite some time now. Abraham says to the Lord, is the, is the, the judge of all the earth not going to do what is right? I feel completely impotent when it comes to the subject of necessarily helping people in their binds. I oftentimes don't know how to do that. I don't know what the answer is. Sometimes, oftentimes, people come to, not just, not just to me, but to you know, any of the pastoral staff on Door of Hope, and oftentimes what really helps is to just be able to say, this, this sucks, this is happening, and I feel robbed. It's a bummer, and that's okay. And I just want to infuse that with truth, and I want to infuse that with promises. Promises of God, promises of the future, promises of a hope that is ahead of us. Jesus is trustworthy, and he's going to bring about everything, everything for, for your good. I can't, I can't promise anything specifically about your situation, but what I can tell you is a couple of things. I can tell you that, that Jesus is with you and that he's going to work everything together. Remember in, in, in James, it says actually... Re- Rejoice when you come into trials. Produces endurance, character, and hope. And hope does not let us down. It does not put us to shame. If what you're going through right now, it, what you're going through right now may very well, like this young boy, he gave up something that was his, and it produced material here and now results. Food for 20,000 people. That sometimes happens. Sometimes the Lord asks you to give something up, and it's painful, man. The Lord asking me to stay in Portland. I've had a lot of conversations this week about staying in Portland. It, it hurts, but I, it, has, it has paid, it has, it has benefited greatly. I met my wife. We have a little girl now. Sometimes that happens. But, but what I really, what I really want is for my personal struggles and trials to produce character, to produce trust, in the Lord Jesus, and that, that is priceless. That is priceless. And uh, the kind of faith in the Lord that caused Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to look the king in the face and go, go ahead, turn up the heat, turn up the flames. Five times, six times, seven times hotter, go ahead. Our Lord will save us, either now, or if you kill us, we're saved, win-win. That's an indestructible person right there. You can't put anything over on a person like that. I want to be that guy for Jesus because he was that for us. Probably the most confused, lost, scared, angry moment for the disciples was, you know, somewhere in the upper room discourse to when Jesus was arrested, you know, somewhere in there. Um, Because that was, 
antithetical to everything that they expected the Lord to do. They, the, the, the disciples, I mean, most of you know this, but for anybody who doesn't, what the disciples believed was that Jesus was going to rise up and be a military power, that he was going to take these 12 guys, make an army out of them, or, or at least some sort of like political movement, and that they were going to overthrow Rome. And that Jesus would then be the king. And Jesus is absolutely the king, but he is the king of the cosmos. He wasn't looking to be the king of a particular land and time and place to a particular people. He was looking to be the king. He is king of the world. He's king forever. And so as he got closer and closer and closer to his death, the disciples got more and more and more confused, more and more and more in the nowhere place, no, more and more and more and more. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what to do. Lord, are you, are you paying attention? Are you listening? And Peter, remember Peter one time just straight up gets in Jesus' face. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus says, I'm going to die. I'm going to raise again, but I'm going to die. The Son of Man must be given over to the hands of sinners. And Peter, I, can, I only can imagine, got in Jesus' face and said, this is not going to happen. And Jesus took the cross so seriously that he doesn't just tell Peter to back off. He doesn't just tell Peter that you're mistaken. He tells Peter, he says, get behind me, Satan. He says, you have in, you have in mind the things of man, not the things of God. That death, Jesus' death, is what brought life and immortality to light for us. It made no sense to the disciples. A lot of things make no sense to us, but when we follow Jesus, <laughs> there's nothing but a hat, there's nothing possible but a happy ending. It might pay off now in some way, or it will build your character in some profound way, but it will pay off. It will pay off now, one way or the other, and it will pay off in eternity forever. We, will, we are promised glory. We are promised glory, glory forever, glory that is actually made better and sweeter because of what we suffer here on earth. Second Corinthians 4 says, knowing that he who raised the Lord Jesus will raise you. Friends, that day is coming. That's a promise. Recall that. 2 Corinthians 4, verse 14. The one who raised the Lord Jesus will raise us also. Will raise us also with Jesus and bring us into his presence. It is all for your sake. So that as grace extends to more and more people, it may increase thanksgiving to the glory of God. So we do not lose heart. Our outer self is wasting away. Anybody relate to that? Your outer self is wasting away. But our inner self is being renewed day by day. This light, this is my, this is, this is, if I ever get put in the deepest, darkest hole of a prison, this is what, this is what's going to be in my brain. This light and momentary affliction, 2 Corinthians 4, 16, this light and momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look to the things not that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. What is seen is transient. What is unseen is eternal. I've got the time, so I'm gonna, I want to I wanna, I wanna talk about this a little bit. Jesus rose from the dead. He who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. You accept him as your personal Lord and Savior. We're, we're sinners who deserve death and hell. That's what we deserve, and that's what Jesus took. He, he took that punishment. He took that judgment, and what he gives us is his perfect life. So we're qualified to live forever in, in God's heaven. 
That's a, that's a promise. What he's, what he's doing with us here in, in the midst of this world, whatever our circumstances are, is, is, working, is working towards that. He's making us a people that are more like Christ. That's what this list in 2 Peter is about. Add to yourself self-control and godliness and brotherly affection and all of these things. This is that even in the midst of trial, we are a people who can grow. We are a people who can mature in Christ, trusting Christ, no matter what happens here. Those are promises. We can grow. He has not abandoned us. When we, re- when we look into the heavens and we raise our arms, the God that we are speaking to has not abandoned us. He came to earth so that he, because he refused to live without us. He loves you. You may not even like yourself that much. He loves you, and he died to have you. Those are promises, eternal glory forever. And this is what he says about you. I'm just going to go through this list really quick. I've got a list here. I've read this list one time before during night church a couple years ago. If you want this list, come get it. And if you, and if you, want, uh, if you, if you want it, I'll, I'll print one off for you. Um, I've given these out before. This is, I, these are 33 Bible verses. This is not comprehensive. These are just the, the quick, easy ones on the surface that I took off the top. God makes promises to you forever. And, and this, is what he's, this is what he says about you. This is what Scripture says about you. Because you're in Jesus Christ. This is what the Bible says about you. You are, and <laughs> your inner voice, a lot of you, I'm, I'm doing it as I'm reading the list. I'm the guy reading the list. Your inner monologue is going to be like, that's a lie, that's a lie, that's a lie. Nope. If you knew me, if you knew what I did, if you knew where I went, if you knew the things that I've said, this is the list. I believe the Bible over your brain. I believe the Bible over my brain. You're a saint. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 2. You're set apart. Leviticus 20. You're bought with a price. You're so valuable, you're bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 6.20. You're a treasured possession. Peter says these very great and precious promises, the promises of God are precious to him, you're treasured to the Lord. Uh, Luke 12, Jesus says, you know what the heart of the Father is like? He says it's, it, it's the Father's great pleasure. It's his deep pleasure. It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. For the Lord to give you heaven gives the Father joy. You're a treasured possession. Right now, the, the, the voice in my head is saying, you're lying to yourself, Ian. You're a scoundrel. You're a scallywag. You're a pirate. You hurt, you hurt people. You're a liar. You're a thief. This is what the Bible says. You're a friend, John 15, 15. You're at peace with God, Romans 5, 1. You're justified, you're free, you're accepted, you're encouraged, you're one in spirit with the Lord. You're a new creature, you're holy, you're redeemed, you're sealed in his spirit, you're alive with Christ, you are God's workmanship, you are the light of the world, you are raised up with Christ, and you are loved. And under loved, I have 11 verses. That's just 11, there's more. You are loved. You have promises that are going to echo into all of eternity. And this is, who the, this is who the Bible says you are. In Christ Jesus, you're a new creation. The old has passed away. He who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness. That's wild. That's good news. That's a promise. So I'll just, I'll just close with this. A um, couple, couple just personal notes. Uh, Regarding verse, verse 11 here, Peter says in 2 Peter chapter 1, he says, For now there will be richly, oh, for in this way there will be richly provided for you an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. That is where you're going. 
there will be richly, <laughs> that just, there will be richly, you'll be richly given, richly provided an entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, eternal, richly provided for you with Jesus forever. That's who you are. Those are promises for you. What happens here on earth? It's hard. It's real. It's not to be ignored. It's not to be stuffed down like, hey, I'm going to heaven. It's cool. I'm just going to pretend like everything's okay. Don't do that. Don't do that. That robs you and it robs the community around you who can walk with you. And a lot of times you enter into those places of hurt and pain and sorrow and you know what the person sitting across the table from you says? Me too. Me too. That's unifying. That's good. That's family. The Lord wept. Jesus wept. We can weep with each other. The hope of heaven. And the, and the Lord sees you and you are, you, you see you're a saint. You're a treasured possession. He loves you. I was thinking about this. I've got a one-year-old daughter and so I've just been thinking about the world differently. And there's a, uh, there's a, there's a cemetery. One of, the, one of the, I don't have a whole lot of prayer practices, but something that I've adopted since Ella was born is that she and I will go on our little daddy-daughter walks through the neighborhood. And I just, uh, you know, she's not, she's not talking back at me yet, so I usually will pray. And I've got my little girl and it feels right. And you ever, you ever been in, in prayer time, anytime, whatever time, and the Lord just hits you with something. And, and it's like, that, that idea, that thought, that word, that wasn't me. It wasn't, it wasn't audible, but man, the Lord just said that to me. Cool. Right by our house, where my wife and I live, there's a cemetery, a big cemetery, big cemetery. And I was on a walk with Ella. This was, this was not long. I mean, she was, this was not long after she was born. This was, this was uh, last winter. It was cold. She was all bundled up. She was on my chest. And I'm walking by the cemetery, and it was just an odd juxtaposition. I've got this brand new life strapped to my chest, and this cemetery sits right along Fremont Street. So when you're on the sidewalk, four feet from you are all these headstones, and I was reading the names and the dates as I went by, and I was just struck. It was just that, it was, you know, I couldn't really describe it. I don't really know what I was thinking, but I was like, man, it's just weird. Here's all these dead people, all these graves, and I've got this brand new life on my chest. That's weird. And it was kind of somber, like it's not... You know, you pass some of these headstones. It's like some of these children were Ella's age when they died. She's just a baby. And I was just thinking about this. And the Lord just struck me with a word right then. He's done this a few times on my, walk with, my walks with Ella. As I was looking at these tombstones, th this voice just came in my head that said, these graves are not for you. And I was like, I, I didn't think that. I am an Olympic athlete when it comes to self-hate monologue. I didn't. I didn't think to myself, these graves aren't for you, but because of Jesus Christ, it's true. There will be resurrection, life and immortality in the name of Jesus alone, because he has defeated death. And, and, and one, last, one last thing, I, this, I'm, only share, I'm sharing this because this was like, this was so powerful to watch, because a lot of this stuff, you know, when we're talking about it, there might be somebody in this room who's listening to what I'm saying and be like, you know what, things are pretty good. Uh, I appreciate what you're saying, Ian, but I got it. You know, like the, the, all of this hurt, loss stuff can be very theoretical, and, and you don't know how you're going to respond or react until you experience something hard. When the fire really breaks out and you need to run around and look for those fire extinguishers and rec really recall the promises of the Lord, one of the, one of the real moments for me 
There's two of them, and they're, they're directly linked together. When I was a, I was a young boy, uh, I was in my, my parents' bed, and I was, a, I was t- taken in by my, by my grandparents when I was two, and so I'm laying in my grandparents' bed, and my, my dad, for all intents and purposes, my granddad, my, my dad, John, uh, it, it was early in the morning, and he was getting ready for work, and I was, I was plagued by night terrors as a kid. I had these horrible nightmares, and I just believed in my own, in my own brain not reading the Bible, in my own seven-year-old brain that my night terrors were God telling me I was going to hell. So I was, all, I was worried about going to hell as, an, as a child, you know, and I was, I, was, so I was laying in bed and I kept this to myself because it's weird, you know, I didn't t- ever tell anybody. So I'm laying in bed and I'm in my own, little, my own little personal hell and my dad's getting ready for work and he's walking back and forth in his bedroom whistling. He's just enjoying the morning. And I remember he had two shirts and he was like holding the shirts up. And I remember thinking as a seven-year-old, like, I want that kind of peace. I don't know what my dad's got, but he didn't have a care in the world. He's whistling at 5 a.m., picking out a button-up. I want that. I don't want money. I don't want, I want that. I don't want, I don't want fame or some sort of earthly glory or some false idea of earthly glory. I just want that. I just want to be at peace. And you know what's crazy? Like, 28 years later, my dad got throat cancer. He was dying slowly and gruesomely and painfully. And one of his friends would come over with a guitar and would play worship songs with my dad. And my dad, dying of cancer, stuck to tubes, being fed through an IV bag, would raise his hands and sing. He was still whistling. He was still whistling. He was dying of cancer, and he was still whistling. Because he looked at his life, And like Peter, my dad could say, the day of my body being given up, the day that I'm going to put off this body, it's soon. It's very soon. And he recalled the promises of God in in his prime, 35 years old, whistling, picking out shirts for work. The same man dying of cancer almost 30 years later, emaciated, gaunt, in, in ravishing pain was still whistling because he believed the promises of Jesus. Come what may, friends, loss of job or like my dad, throat cancer. The promises of God don't go anywhere. They don't go anywhere. Jesus secured for us a place. He said, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And if you're here this morning and you do not know Jesus, if you don't know what I'm talking about, come, I, I can't convince you any more than I just tried for the last 45 minutes. But come have a conversation with me. If you want to know this Jesus, confess of your autonomy, confess of your sins, and put your hope and your life in him, you can do it right now. You can do it before I get off the stage. You just cry out to him. He loves you. He's for you. He died to have you. Son was sent so that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. Jesus secured that for us, and he's promised it. Wherever you're going through, he's promised it. Amen? Amen.